everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun safely ensconced in his bunker in Toronto. And joining us today from lovely Minnesota, Brian McClellan, GM of the Washington Capitals. And, and Brian, let's just get this out of the way early on. True or false, this is likely to be the highlight of your day talking to Pierre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, not much to beat from yesterday. I had my first quarantine haircut, so uh, uh, this this would be right up there with that. I think today. I'm I'm I am jealous. So, I mean, I've got hair going out the sides, not so much up top, but I got a lot of hair going up the sides, uh, Brian. And uh, yeah, what I would. Well, I've been testing my wife. I've been I've I've been testing my wife the last couple of days, waiting for her to get in a good mood, and then I, I gave her the scissors and said, "Go for it." Right. <laughs> oh, so I thought maybe you went you went out because, of course, I live in Georgia. Uh, now, I haven't – I could, if I wanted to, as soon as we get done here, I could go and get a tattoo. I could bowl a few <laughs> frames. Uh, I can definitely get a haircut. Uh, but, so you, this was a homemade – this was a home – Yeah, a we're, home we're shut down trip. in uh, Minnesota. They're, they're, the, the haircut people aren't working. Matter of fact, I think they had a guy in St. Paul open a shop yesterday, and they closed him down within two hours. Wow! Wow! Interesting times that uh, that we live in now, now. Brian, before we get to the topics of the day, or what we're all living through here, I I, I do want to mention that uh, uh, been watching a lot of old NHL games and they've been replaying the whole '89 Cup final on Sportsnet lately. Um, and uh, been fun to to watch you play as part of that '89 Flames team that won the cup. And you know, it it kind of hit me watching it, Brian, that that great Flames team that um, had you know a lot of sort of knocks at the door in terms of being a great team for a long time, finally winning it in '89 and the elation, of course, that came with it. It reminds me: is there a parallel to be drawn with your Washington team that? Um, you know, knocking at the door. And of course, in Calgary's cases, can we get past Edmonton? And of course, with Washington, the, your rivals are in Pittsburgh. But do you see some symmetry there when, when you guys won two years ago? Yeah, I do. I do. We talked about it, uh, you know, at, at the time as we were going through what we went through in Washington. That, you know, um, you know, Calgary, you know, had trouble with Edmonton finally gets through that part. And then, you know, I mean, they lost to Montreal the year before. Um, all these good teams that never seem to get over the hump and then finally did that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was... But I uh, drew a lot of parallels during that time. Uh, a lot of conversations were brought up about, you know, what happened in Calgary, how did, how did it go, and uh, how did they find the chemistry, or how did we find the chemistry to win? I'm, I'm just curious because, it, you know, sometimes, I mean, for people of a certain vintage, I remember that 89 final vividly uh, i remember the you know the, the the drama and even some of the you know the holdover from the 86 final where of course montreal beat the flames when you go like at, do you talk to your players like guys like you know whether it's nick backstrom or tj Oshie or like are there do sometimes <laughs> like do, when you talk to them about this do they have a blank look or do they do they really understand that there is a line to be drawn even though it you know they might have been I'd have to do my math, but you know they might have been kids or whatever it was when that happened to you. Yeah, I, I think it's you know it's tough, I think, for current players to draw complete parallels to you know ex players, especially when it's thirty years ago. Um, but I do believe uh, the events, the the energy that goes into it, repeats itself. Rather, whether it was thirty years ago or fifty years ago, I think certain things line up you know you have to get over certain hurdles you have to figure out certain things as a team uh to win a championship and i don't think that changes over the years i think any communication you have with players is more in generalities of it it's not specific here's what we did you know i don't think current players like hearing what ex-players think they did you know right that makes sense and and, you know I'm curious before we get to the business at hand, but I, you know, we were talking off air. TSN is going to show the old 87 Canada cup final uh, this week. And I'm really excited to watch it again, Brian. And, um, you know, I, I'm wondering as, uh, as an NHL player then, and I'm trying to think in 87, I think you're still with the North stars in Minnesota, right? 
Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I don't even know if you would have access to have it on TV. It might have just been on in Canada. I can't remember. But yeah, we did. We watched uh, some of the games. Um, you know, I, I think it just that group of players was phenomenal. You know, to get Lemieux and Gretzky and it, just all these guys to play on the same team, our peer group. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just a fun experience to see them play together. Yeah. It sure, it sure me, was. Just, I, I just want to inject, Pierre, because Brian didn't – we were just talking about this before we started the tape. Brian, didn't you always tell me you were the last cut by Mike Keenan for the 87 uh, Canada <laughs> yeah, Cup team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, would, that would have been a good accomplishment to get that close to that team. Um, that's an impressive group, though. I mean, that uh, – you know, and, and uh, I think for me, you watch – some of those players accept lesser roles that, you know, are star players. You know, you had guys in the third, fourth line that are star players and um, accepted the role and bought into it as a team and, and consequently were successful. Yeah, it was a great memory now. Uh, and and for me, it was actually, as, as a younger guy, Brian, back then, it was as much finding out about the Soviet team and the KLM line and all that that... Right. Between the '84 Canada Cup and the '87 Canada Cup, so mesmerized by what the Soviets had to bring. Uh, that's what, that's really as strong a memory for me as as, can, as Canada winning it. But I'm wondering about the business at hand now, Brian. Uh, uh, there was a uh, board of governors call on Monday, and uh, afterwards, uh, Bill Daly uh, and I traded emails, and he said they'll need a bit more time to decide on the June draft. I know it's been a hot potato around the league from all my conversations, but uh, don't know what you feel you can share about the idea of a June draft and where you sit on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I get... Um, I, I think most of the managers would like it to happen in natural order. Um, just for the... You know, there's a natural order of business that there's a rhythm to it. And, you know, some teams use that time to to reset their rosters to it's 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 a way to manage your roster and cap situation for next season um the way to make trades um and a lot of decisions are based on how you concluded your previous season so you go into the playoffs and um you know maybe a weakness is identified or you weren't as successful as you were and you need to make changes and the draft seems to be an area where you can accomplish those things uh, before next season. I also understand, you know, this is, this is a business too. It's a league business. Uh, the commissioner and, and uh, league have some business decisions to make. There's national right holders. Um, there's a national audience that's, you know, looking for some content and there's an opportunity there for the league to, uh, you know, uh, sell our draft to introduce the draft to to people that don't normally watch it, possibly. Um, so I think there's, you know, probably a little tug of war. And, um, you know, I think us as an organization, we, you know, from a purely management viewpoint, you'd rather have it in a natural order. But I get that there's a business going on here. And, um, you know, the league has to balance both of those decisions out. And I think... You know, uh, the commissioner will, will make his decision, and uh, we'll work with that. You know, we'll work within the guidelines he sets out. Yeah. I'm just curious what it's been like for you, Brian. I mean, you're a team that was in first place at the pause. Uh, you know, we, we, we have talked a lot about the potential return-to-play protocols, how it might work, regular season games followed by playoffs or an expanded playoff grid just to start. What's it been like for you as a GM of a cup hopeful team? Are, are you, you know, are you talking to Todd Reardon and the coaching staff? Are you talking to players? I mean, it, it strikes me that this might be a difficult time for a, you know, for a GM of a team that still has, if we're, you know, if we can do it safely, a, a lot of hockey yet to play before this season is done. Yeah. I mean, we, we try and, you know, be open to the possibilities that might happen. Um, you know, I think the league does a good job of communicating to uh, teams. And, you know, the situation seems to change, you know, every couple of days on, on, and understandably too, because I, I, you know, you watch the news and, and I don't know that anybody completely understands the virus. 
Um, you see different models, different forecast projections. So I, I think it's important for the league and the managers of the teams to prepare for any type of situation that might come up. And there's so many things. I mean, you see new things every day. You know, how do we handle, how will we handle certain situations if it comes to fruition that we continue to play this year? You know, the hotels, the food, the charters, how do you get the European players back? Uh, is there going to be testing? There has to be testing. You know, is there going to be a quick turnaround on testing? What happens if a player uh, tests positive? You know, is there a quarantine for players around that player? I mean, there's so many questions that we, you know, we bring up. I mean, and, and then it, the next two days, it changes a little bit and there's more questions. So I think um, as a league, as a manager, you're trying to prepare, you know, keep up to date on what's going on, prepare for what might come down the road and, um, you know, do the best you can do from there. Right. And one of the intriguing aspects of whether or not there is a June draft and who knows, maybe the pushback's too strong and they decide to pass on the idea. We'll find out in the next week here. But if there is a June draft, Brian, one of the things that caught my eye right away uh, last Friday, when when uh, when the league sent out a memo, is is the idea of the the conditional trades <laughs> being fixed somehow, and and you have yeah. one and you have one and it doesn't involve a first round pick. It's 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 not that dramatic, but your Brendan Dillon deal has a has a third round pick, where if you win the cup this year, and tell me if I'm wrong, I think if you win the cup this year, that 2021 third round pick actually becomes a 2020 third round pick uh, Arizona's pick that you guys own actually goes to San Jose right. instead. So yeah. in talking to your front office, is it your understanding that the idea would be that you and Doug Wilson would have a chat at some point and figure out what's, what makes most sense if there is a June draft or. Yeah. It looks like from the memo that we would, you know, try and work it out between the two teams, uh, hmm. a solution to it. And then if that wasn't, happening that the league would come in and figure it out for themselves and give us the solution right that was my understanding of it yeah Mm -hmm. because of course you know can't predict the future (laughs) yeah right right no i know i mean do you think this is a i mean maybe this is a lesson for all of us is that you i mean you have to be i mean you just really have to clear your mind about how you know what what we're going to you know, accept as the new normal and whether it's having a draft before the end of a season is completed or whether it's you and Doug Wilson you know, basically renegotiating a deal that took place in March. It, 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 do you think this is, I mean, this is part of the exercise that we're going through. Is it the, the, the idea of, okay, we can't just hang on to, you know, well, we can't do that because we've never done that before. We, we might have to do everything completely different. Or I don't know if that's part of the process, what that's been like for you. Yeah, I think it is, Scott. I think you have to be open. Um, you know, if changes are made, if the league decides this or that, if, you know, even you have uh, local governments that are making decisions um, that affect if you can open up your practice facility here. Um, I think you just have to have the ability to have an open mind um, to monitor what's going on uh, on a day-to-day basis, communicate with all your people, and then play it out, you know, do the best you can do, make your best decisions, and um, see what happens from there. And Brian, what's your communication been like with the leaders on the team in terms of, you know, keeping touch with them and having an... I think in the beginning, you know, we were communicating fairly regularly and it's you know it's kind of tailed off i know they're talking the nhlpa is in has more communication going on now but in the beginning you know i had a few players uh reaching out just to see whether you know we thought we were going to play or what was going on Mm -hmm. um i think that communication is coming from the pa now versus coming from me you know, it's always a, uh, it's probably a bad thing when you go back and you start reading your old stories during a, a pause like this. And I, w- I will admit that, that uh, it probably says something more about me than anything else, but I did laugh out loud. I went back and I looked at a piece that I had written during the 2018 playoff run. You and I had chatted you know, about your journey. And I, I had forgotten that uh, after you retired, um, 
you'd gone into into the world of finance. So that you were going to be. It was like you were. Um, I don't know whether you were the Charlie Sheen character in Wall Street, but you were, you were like <laughs> yeah. a yeah, yeah. You were maybe it was Michael Douglas. I don't know, but um, right, right, yeah. But when you came back into the game and you came back in because your your old pal George McPhee had 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 come to you and asked you about getting back into the game. And of course, you guys long history from the Guelph, Ontario era area and played youth hockey together and university hockey together. Do you ever think about, you know, sort of those, I mean, those choices, right? You, you stayed with the same organization from the time you got back into hockey and walked away from what sounded like it might've been a very lucrative career in the financial world. Do you, do you ever think about those kinds of decisions that you've made and the fact that it's really, you know, you've charted a, 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 a fascinating hockey life with one organization for a long time. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, at the time, you know, it was a risky decision by me because I had put uh, enough time in to establish myself in the, in a new career. And, you know, it would have been a, a comfortable career with a good career path. And, and it was going the right way. And it took a lot of energy to get to that point. And to get to that point and then shift careers was was a big risk on my part. But I, you know, it, it seemed attractive, and it seemed like, you know, it was it was a good thing to do. And it was, you know, I felt like there was passion there that might not have been there when I quit playing. So it was it was a risk, and it and it's worked out. And you know, fortunate for me, um, you know, I got to work with George a lot. Uh, he gave me plenty of opportunities uh, to be around some good stuff and a good education in the game. And that I've, you know, I'm coming up, I think, on 20 years here with the Washington organization. So it's, it's, you know, for me, it's gone by quick. But when you look back, you go, oh, my God, I made that decision 20, 20 years ago. <laughs> and here I am still doing, you know, I'm still working on it. So uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it sure is, especially when you consider how guys move around organizations, right, traditionally, um, to, be, yeah. to be in the same. Well, we have a number of people in our organization, Pierre, that have, you know, right around that 20-year mark. So it's uh, hmm. it's been pretty stable as an organization. You know, Ross has been here. A couple of the amateur scouts have been here. Uh, we've got some operational people that have been there almost 20 years or more than 20 years. Um, um, it's, it's, it's pretty good indication of what's going on in the organization well and your captain's been there 15 years uh brian and uh, right. i was yeah. thinking of alex ovechkin uh over the last couple of weeks thinking that he like a lot of other high profile players i wonder what's going through their minds as far as you know number one who knows when the off season is right <laughs> we won't know that yeah. for a while but then when it does come and i know you've talked about this before but you know Odds are you're probably going to want to have a chat with him about the future, given that he's entering the final year of his deal next year. What I mean is, would the plan have still be the same? Do you think? I mean, I, I think once you sign Nick Backstrom to that extension, it felt like that probably paved the way for for Alex to want to knock on your door. But uh, what's what's your sense of the future there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think along with Nick, I think we like. Um, Obi to finish his career with Washington. I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate here. I mean, he was having a great year and, mm -hmm. you know, he had a lot of momentum going and, you know, it looked like he was going to get 50 plus. And um, I think that would have been a great, you know, feather in his cap and just, just a lot of momentum created by getting that number 50. Um, so, and I think, you know, I think he wants to do as well as he can do to finish as high as he can in the goal category. And I also think he wants team success. I think he'd, he'd really like to win another Stanley Cup. So it's, um, there's unfinished business in my mind for him. And, you know, we'd, I'd like to be a part of helping him accomplish it. He's a, he always strikes me as being someone who is such a unique individual, and he's doing things at this stage of his career that that sometimes don't get done, right? He's got a young family. As you mentioned, it took him a long time, obviously, to win that first Stanley Cup, but that, that drive to— to, to to win another and to add more to the you know the team resume if you will uh seems very 
very real for him. And then, of course, this the whole this whole notion of could he possibly catch Wayne Gretzky? We had Wayne on our podcast, I guess, three weeks ago, Pierre, and and you know, Wayne's been so unequivocal about how he thinks it's terrific for the game that you know that this is a discussion, and he'd be the first in line to shake Alex's hand if they if he does you know reach or break his goal record, but. It, these are things that you know, like he's not going he's not sort of fading into the twilight in the way that some guys do at this stage but really there's a lot of there's a lot of juice for him in terms of you know motivation all those kinds of things do, do you sense that i mean do you you know when do you do you think that what's that what's that like to watch from your vantage point i guess yeah i do i do sense that i i think he's you know he recognizes um not that he didn't before, but I, I think as he passes certain players on the goal total, I mean, he recognizes that he's he's coming to the end and, you know, he has a chance to cement himself, you know, very high up. And I think it's pretty compelling from the organization standpoint, probably from his viewpoint, uh, how close can he get or can he beat Gretzky? You know, it's it would be a fun thing to watch him try and see where he ends up. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, that's a record I never thought we'd even have a conversation about someone nearing, to be quite honest. It's it's really amazing. Um, and, uh, and because it's the hardest thing to do, is it not? In, in hockey, is to score goals. And, uh, and, and, you know, to your point, Brian, you know, Alex was, it was, I think he was playing his best hockey of the year, you know, here in the second right. half of the season. 34 years old and in a groove that, you know, the team is, is in first place that, uh, you know, that's the tough part. And how do you feel? And this is a question that I know I've talked to a few coaches about during the pandemic here, but the real unknown is how do teams, you know, if there is a resumption of season, how does your team look right out of the gates? And and I don't know that anyone knows. I, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be telling of the teams where, the veteran corps said, okay, let's make sure, you know, we stay in shape and, and we do this and it's hard, we're home. But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how teams look out of, out of this, don't you think? Right, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the questions for me is how do teams play with no fans, you know? I mean, you know, we're in a hub city playing and there's nobody in the building. And, I mean, the interaction between the, the players and the fans in the playoffs is is, is – strong emotionally i mean that you know the mood swings in games the emotion in games and, and certain players you know like Ovi, you know we have a few players that feed off that emotion that play better when the when the fans are into it mm-hmm. and that create energy and i i don't know that you know the certain teams need that emotion or will that be created internally i mean hmm. those are things you know we, we've been thinking about and it's like how what effect does that have on it? You know, right. It'd be curious to see how it works out that way. And I, I think, you know, I think older players, they figure out, the, you know, the conditioning part of it fairly quick. They have a level of conditioning that they've acquired over the years that they can get to. Um, so I, I think players given, you know, three weeks uh, can get to a level that they can function at at a high level. Yeah, so Pierre and I have been, you know, we because it is the great unknown. We've, you know, hypothesized that maybe teams that have a more veteran core or have and have been down this road before have faced the unknowns and the uncertainties of of a long playoff run. And so, you know, obviously Boston and St. Louis, the two finalists from a year ago. I think obviously the Caps fit into that mode. Vegas probably as well. The, the finalists from 18 as well. Do you, is there some of that? I mean, I don't know whether that's something you and, and the coaching staff talk about, you know, in terms of potentially preparing for a return to play that, that you can count on that kind of experience to maybe, you know, help to, to ride out what is going to be a very uncertain landscape if we do get back on the ice. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think experience is going to, it's going to matter. I mean, it, it and it just like we were talking earlier about everything's new, everything's a different, uh, different experience. Uh, the same thing for the players. Um, you know, here we are, you know, possibly playing in empty buildings and 
uh, players are going to be quarantined. How do they handle that? I think a player with, you know, uh, a lot of experience, um, uh, life experience plus playing experience, um, will have the ability to, to overcome that stuff or to move through it and, and figure it out. Yeah. We're still, uh, as much as we, we keep hearing about the different scenarios as we let you go here, Brian, it's interesting. We still have, we seem to come up with more questions and answers still as we, as yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's tricky because every day you're, you're talking about different things and, you know, in the end it's, you know, um, what happens in society? How, how do they handle, how do we figure out how to handle the virus? How do we integrate, you know, businesses back into the economy? Mm-hmm. Um, and hockey is just one of those businesses. Um, so there's a big picture going on here that, Sometimes we get focused on our little area, but there's other things going on. You know, um, you know, you you watch the news every night, and you go, uh, how, you know, how how can we come back and play when they say, right. you know, by June first it's going to quadruple. You know, that infection and death rates are about to increase. I mean, you see that every night, and you go, how how are we going to move through that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's. You know, on one hand, you see the big picture of the virus and what impact it's having. And then the other hand, you're, you know, trying to prepare your own business for what might come up the road. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Brian, we are uh, we're going to let you get back to your day in Minnesota. And thank you so much for, for joining us. I wish we had – it's too bad we're not doing sort of a Zoom thing because then we could actually get a view of the new haircut. But yeah. Maybe you just send one, <laughs> yeah, send one yeah, along. Thanks. We can – Put that out there too. So jealous. I told my wife she might be able to do it, but uh, she takes too long. She's not going to be able to do a lot of them. <laughs> a, hair, a haircut's not something you want to rush, Brian. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> no, I know that. Especially with a rookie with the scissors in her hand. <laughs> well, continue to stay safe and, and healthy, and, and thanks for hanging out with Pierre and I today. It's been a it's been a treat, and and hopefully we'll. Hopefully we'll see you in a rink somewhere, sometime um, in the not too distant future, if it uh, if the cards align uh, properly. But uh, thanks for thanks for doing this with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, Pierre, that that was great. We're, I, I want to uh, circle back with some of the things that Brian talked about and to really tell more stories about myself, which I like to do, as you know. But uh, we got a <laughs> we got a break. I went back, Pierre, and uh, look, both you and I, you had done a really, you know, really nice piece looking very deeply at uh, at, at Brian McClellan and George McPhee, who, of course, at the time during the 18 Stanley Cup final was the GM of the Golden Knights. He would move up the ladder and Kelly McCrenman would take over as the GM after, um, after that. But their relationship... McPhee and McClellan have been so closely tied together for years and years. It, it It's such a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. And even my story, so they're both from the Guelph area, as I mentioned. They used to, they were roommates at Bowling Green. And they both worked as counselors at a hockey camp, um, which, and because as I said, it's almost always about me. My son was also a counselor at the very same camp, different location, but the very same camp. Mm-hmm. Been running for like 40 years. And they were counselors at the camp together, so it was very, you know, it was very cool that they, you know, that they that that, that was these were two guys who grew up together and and, and really forged a strong bond, um, you know, at the NHL level, and and really, you know, there was there there were George McPhee fingerprints or or impressions on that Caps team that ultimately broke through and won their first ever Stanley Cup in 2018. Yeah, and it's probably one of the pieces that I've most enjoyed writing as, since I've been at The Athletic is that piece on the eve of the 2018 Cup Final because of the raw honesty that both uh, Brian McClellan and George McPhee yeah. displayed. And, and when I talked to both of those guys about, at the time, which was a bit of a frayed relationship, right? I mean, I think things have been patched up since then. But, you know, usually when you get in that situation, you'll you'll get a certain version of the truth from guys like that, right? They'll, they'll be like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. It's business. That's not what those guys said. If you go back and read the piece, you know, George McPhee talked about how it felt to be fired and then have, you know, such a close friend, you know, replace him as GM, right? Ryan McClellan going from assistant yeah. GM to GM. And then, yeah. um, and that the two didn't speak for a long time uh, after that. And I think from Brian McClellan's, 
point of view, if I remember the piece, he just felt it was it was awkward and that he didn't know what to say, really. What are you going to do, not take the job if you're offered it? I mean, so, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I, I had a lot of appreciation for both the, the, the two point of views, but also how they they were honest about it. And, and even then at that moment going into that cup final, you know, it was, it was, you could tell in their body language talking about it was still something. Um, and of course yeah. caps go in the, go on to win the cup, but I know that they've had dinner since then a bunch of times. And, and um, you know, like I said, I think they've patched things up. Yeah. I, I, I think Brian McClellan was really one of the, he's to me, such an interesting figure you know, because he he's he's not a high profile GM, and you look at the cast of characters around the NHL, and there are you know veteran guy, I mean guys like David Poyle, who's you know Hall of Famer, you know he's great, you know winningest GM of all time, and you know powerful Hall of Fame GMs, uh, guys like Steve Eiserman, and 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 yet Brian's team has. Like really, since Alex Ovechkin came in the league, so after the o four o five lockout, that Caps team has been year in year out one of the highest profile teams, right? They mm-hmm. star studded, they expectations, all those kinds of things. And I think it's interesting that you know when they finally break through, it's with a guy. And I think George McPhee was probably a little bit like that too. Both of them a little bit understated, but it, it is interesting that Brian McClellan has been sort of riding, you know, hand on the tiller of a team that is as high profile probably along with Pittsburgh as there is in the NHL and you know he probably is a guy that doesn't have the profile of a lot of GMs mm-hmm. you agree disagree no I, and I think it's by design like you know when I cover the GM meetings every year in Boca Raton Florida and that feels like that was six months ago but it was early March <laughs> yeah but every year like he's not you know when all the when the meeting breaks up every day the three-day meetings he's not looking for the cameras <laughs> you know he's available if you want him but he's he's I think by design uh, under the radar that's his style and just such a cerebral guy as we just heard again another excellent interview uh with him and um in terms of what he has to offer but you know he said something to me boy i was back in october in my series of q a uh, interviews for the athletic scott he said something that has stuck with me all year long and you know not that it was earth shattering but i think hits home as to why I think the Caps continue to be a contender. We were talking about the fact that they were already a pretty, you know, physically imposing team. And he went out last summer and he added, uh, um, you know, Ratko Gudis and, uh, and, and, and Garnet Hathaway. Right. And I said, well, you already have like, first of all, Alex Ovechkin hits like a Ram truck. You already have Tom Wilson. I mean, you already, yeah. A pretty heavy team, probably the I would argue the heaviest team in the East uh, to go along with all that skill. And he goes, "Yeah," but he said, "You know," and I, and this is what I, the comment that has stuck with me. He goes, "We think that um, you have to have a certain kind of team for the regular season. You know, you play a certain style, and yeah, yeah, and you need a certain kind of team to get you through the regular season, and then you need a certain kind of team for the playoffs." And I think what he's saying is, you you know, you can go all skill pretty much during the regular season to, to get the job done and, and get to where you need to be in terms of the standings and all that. And then the game changes come playoff time, as we've seen. And and I, it's interesting. He basically is talking about building two different type of teams within one to try and find that success at, at two different types of, you know, two different times in the year. And I've never heard a GM put it that way before. And I think it's really true of, of the modern game in the cap era with so much parity that if your team can be that flexible and show, you know, the two sides of the game that way, then you're probably giving yourself a better chance. And frankly, I think it's a lesson that Tampa Bay Lightning learned after being pushed around by Columbus in the first round last spring. And that even though they still have all this all-world skill, Look at the moves that the Lightning have done over the last 12 months, right? I mean, they they, they added, uh, we talked about, they added, you know, Pat Maroon. And then before the deadline, you know, Blake Coleman, who has some some high-end grit to his game to go along with his skill. You know, Barkley Goudreau, uh, you know, the sandpaper. And, you know, some people roll their eyes at this, at this narrative. But you can roll your eyes all you want. The Washington Capitals in 2018 were a physically imposing, intimidating team to go along with you know, all the skill that they had on the ice and winning their cup. 
Yeah, well, I mean, think about that final against Vegas and and what was, you know, this is a, and I know Golden Knights fans didn't like it, but you know, Tom Wilson was a was a factor very early in that series in Vegas. And yeah, they I hit think, on Marchessault you know, in Game One. Final, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, and I'm telling you right now, the I Caps feel that that hit changes yeah. that the complexion of that Cup final. No, no doubt about it. And and you 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 mentioned Brendan Dillon, another ad that. You know, again, makes them you know want certainly on paper much harder to play against. I, you know, it's, I you know, listen, we'll we'll talk about it a bit when we come back from from our break. But it does you know doesn't when you you talk about how teams have adjusted and built. Yeah, geez, it just makes you makes you wonder how if we're able to find a way to safely do this, how things might play out. Right, it's still so many great narratives out there, and. And, and the Washington Capitals and Tampa and Boston, man, that that Eastern Conference, there's there's a ton of great stories there if we ever get to see it unfold. So there you go. But you don't have to respond. Well, I thought you, you were to. trying to rush to a break, so I didn't want to add to it. <laughs> I'm going to. Yeah, you, uh, you, well, this will be the perfect segue. When we come back from our break, let me know what you think. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. See, I'm not even. See, now you can just lead. You can just go wherever you want to go. Now we're back for our, our final segment on two man advantage. So, I, I will say this. I one thing that one thing that I'm wondering is more and more. I'm doubting the the idea of coming back with all 31 teams. You know, if there is a season this year, and I wanted to get your perspective on that, Scotty, because you know you look at the bottom seven teams and the fact they can't make the playoffs and the fact that there may not be a hockey game until who knows, August, July or August at the earliest. Yeah. The more I think about it, and I know the league wants to play regular season games, but are you really going to ask all those players on those bottom seven teams to come back and play about eight games and then after four or five months off and then calling it quits again? I, I'm I'm having a harder and harder time wrapping my mind around that. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, this is a great thing about you and I is that we're like sort of ships passing in the night because as time has gone on, and right from the get go, I was like, I, I think it's it makes no sense to me to, if for that very reason, bring back teams, and especially you know, even if you play the full eighty two, and I don't even know. If, you know, I don't know how the schedule works. If you are gathering teams di- by division, how you make it work to, you know, teams are between what sixty-eight and seventy-one games played. How do you get them all to eighty-two? Especially mm-hmm. if you're now going to only play divisional games. Anyway, it makes my head hurt thinking about. It. But but the more, it's funny that now that there like there's a huge runway, and and we know now that the league. I mean, you mentioned. You know, initially, I think when we were starting to talk about, it, we were like, okay, well, if the games get played in July, listen, I, I think the league is in a position where, like, okay, if we don't play till August, like, there, my sense of it is, you know, if they can get regular season games and the playoffs, and it pushes into late September, what, even into early October, to have a cup champion named, that that might be okay because when you push forward into twenty twenty one. And the idea that, you know, for certain you're not going to be able to have fans in the stands. You might not be able to have them all season. But is there a better likelihood come January 21 that you could have a way to have some fans in your in your arenas? That the runway is even longer than than we've imagined for getting this done. And maybe that, you know, I agree. Like, I'm sure. Well, you know what? Let me put it this way. Listen, these are pro hockey players. If someone says to you, listen, you're going to come back and you're going to play eight games over a three-week period, and then you're going to be done. You know what? I, I, I don't think that's a huge ask if, if it can be done safely. I, I mean, I get the logistics. All those things are, are up in the air. Yeah. It's not a huge ask for somebody who's uh, but it is not doing anything because else. But I, like, I get to get your body back in game shape after four months off. and. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's no different than come back from a regular offseason and getting ready for exhibition games in September every year. It is different because players get to skate all summer. They have not been skating. Yeah. They have not been skating since the pause in mid-March. Now, that may change soon here that, you know, the NHL hopes to get to phase two here at some point in the next couple of weeks where 
they'll allow small groups of players to go to the team facilities and skate in small groups. And that will be a game changer because, you know, we had, you remember when we had Justin Williams on, Scotty, I mean, there's nothing that replaces a skating stride when you're working out at home. And, you know, that's why I'm saying for the non-playoff teams, when there's no carrot at the end of the, the, the you know, there's no, there's, there's no motivation, you know, you can't be a playoff team. I, I'm, you know, it's the seven obvious teams that I'm talking about, right? The rest of the, you know, there's at least 24 teams that are in the bubble in terms of contention, but the other seven teams, they're out. And I, I just think convincing those teams to come back, other than the fact that as, you know, not to sound like a smart ass, but, you know, do you want to get paid? <laughs> there's always that comeback. I, I get that. I understand that, but I think it's asking a lot. We're going to wrap up here in a bit. And, and we, we talked um, certainly about the draft, drafted, you know, a very fluid, whether there is one in June or not. And the more, and here's something, the more I've been thinking about it. Eight, um, I, I think Brian McClellan's perspective is one shared by a lot of GMs that, Really, it's disruptive to have the draft in June, and I think especially for playoff teams or even teams that are sort of on the bubble that might hope to get into the playoffs depending on what happens moving forward. Because the real assessment of your team, your assessment of the Washington Capitals or the Tampa Bay Lightning or Vegas or St. Louis or Boston, any of those teams, you can't assess your team right now because you don't know. Because at the end of the day, is the, the result is how you go about moving forward with the development of your team. Like if, if the Caps are one and done for a second straight year, well, I assume Brian McClellan looks at his team very differently. And I can guarantee Julian Breezebaugh in Tampa, if they're one and done, what happens to that Lightning team? Right. Right? At a, yeah. at a normal draft period. I, I would expect there would be some fairly significant upheaval, mm-hmm. which can't or won't happen if you force it. No, draft, I, and, and I get where the GMs the are coming from. Really, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get where they're coming yeah. from, and it's funny because in reading that league memo that <laughs> Bill Daly even acknowledges in the memo that he's heard he's heard loud and clear where the GMs stand on the June draft. Yeah. But Daly in that memo also said something that hit home with me, and I don't know if it did with you, but he said the GMs want the status quo draft. There is no status quo. Like even yeah, if the draft I mean, is held yeah, in October or November. Yep. It's not going to be the same. I mean, yeah, you'll be able to make trades to your point of what you just described. Yeah, there'll be that part to it, but it'll still be different because, you know, it'll be such a shorter off season and, and, you know, it might be a virtual draft and how does that affect the, you know, what we think is the draft that we've all been around for the last 20, you know, whatever years we've been around the NHL that particular draft is gone for 2020, right? Yeah. Either way, yep. whether you hold it next month or whether you wait till the fall, the normal is out the window. And and I think that, yeah. you know, that was a good point by the league to make. Now, I still think, having said that, that as Brian McClellan made clear, that most teams would still want uh, the new normal in the fall where they can still make trades, to your point. So uh, let me just as we're wrapping up here, but uh, the thing that really uh, the more I've been thinking about it too is the draft, and I understand it, right? I get the the idea of having it. I guess what I guess what would disappoint me is that the league, if they do go back to uh, the previous um, draft lottery model, that it seems to have undone what I thought has been a lot of good work in reducing this whole incentive to tank and and really mm-hmm. some unsavory things that we've seen in the past, whether it's the Leafs, whether it's been Buffalo, you know, teams that have really gone under their way to not be very good in the hopes of of of, of landing a general generational player. You know, obviously Buffalo is in that Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel draft, uh, the Leafs with Austin Matthews and Alexis Lafreniere is, is another, he's, he's a terrific, terrific young player. And, I I just think it's to me it would be unfortunate for a Detroit team that I was looking at the standings. It, it's shocking where they were at vis-a-vis the rest of the league. And to me, that's the unfortunate part is that I think that if they if they do go back to uh, you know a, a draft lottery system that they used in the past, which it doesn't guarantee Detroit gets the first pick, but boy, it, it to me it undoes a lot of good work. And I just assume see them go the other way, which is open up the opportunities for whichever teams are going to be in that lottery um, to have a shot at, at the first overall. Well, it's but, funny. 
again, I completely no, did, it's I, a new normal. It's I totally normal. disagree with you yeah. in Detroit, though. It's funny because I actually think here's an organization that's done all the right things for so many decades here and all the winning they did and that they deserve Alexis Lafreniere. They deserve him. They deserve to get that franchise player because they did. They went about it the right way for a long time. And now finally, when they're, they hit the bottom of the barrel, I, I'd rather them get him than any other team, quite frankly. But um, having said that, Keep in mind, and, and you know, let's be careful here with just because the league suggested in that memo last Friday that perhaps going to the old draft lottery would be a solution. They're, the league has not come out and said they're doing that for sure. And in fact, you know, the fact that Monday's Board of Governors call lasted an hour and 45 minutes, Scotty, and the fact that the league came out of it, and I quoted Bill Daly as saying, you know, we, we want to get this right, so we're not going to rush into a decision. It gives me the impression from talking to a few other sources that it, it gave the league a lot to think about after Monday's call. So, you know, don't don't bring it to the bank. Don't take it to the bank that 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 is what the lottery is. Who knows? I mean, they might be working on a hybrid solution right now. It's tough to say. Yeah. No. And that's yeah. And that's I mean, to me, I I I think there is. Uh, listen, I'm part of you know. I'm sort of guilty of this too, and we've you and I have talked about this. It, you know, it's it's obvious. You know, this comes out, and it, it's clear that the league believes on on many levels that having a June draft is is the way to go. And we, so, you know, this notion that Gary Batman gets whatever Gary wants. Well, I, I I'm with you. I I really think there this is a positive. You know, this is a positive uh, result. That that it's not all. It wasn't rubber stamped in a twenty minute call. Obviously, people have very strong feelings about what is the best way to proceed with all of the components of having a draft in in June. And and it's clear that they're giving it the proper vetting. And at the end of the day, if they decide to whatever you know whatever they decide with, my sense is they will have overturned a lot of rocks in making that decision. And I you mm-hmm. know I think that's an important process. Yeah. No, I mean, and again, nothing will be perfect no matter what comes out. Not just the draft, but the scheduling, the format, the playoffs. I mean, it's uh, the start of next season. Again, I, I think we need to condition ourselves to understand that this pandemic has shifted everything on its ear. And, and no matter what ends up happening, it's going to be hard to sit back and say, well, that was the dumbest thing ever. Like you should have done, you know, there is no perfect answer. Yep. That's the bottom line. Truth, truth. But I'll tell you this: I always count on perfect when I when I'm looking forward to two man advantage. I know I'm going to get a perfect performance from you uh, today. No different. Um, before Fire. we go, we should. Uh, yeah, I, no, it's absolutely true. I feel I feel energized moving forward. I always feel energized after I talk to you. So, uh, and you should also give a listen to some of the other athletic podcasts out there. Andrew Kopp of the Winnipeg Jets joins uh, Ken Weeby and Morat Ates, whose name I, I will I, I'm I'm going to have to send Morat an, uh, an email. I probably mangled his name a couple times as we promote the uh, Boarding Pass podcast out of Winnipeg, but uh, you should give that a listen. Um, and how about this? Jack Campbell of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, joins Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle on Leaf Report at theathletic.com this week. You should do that. And uh, San Jose Sharks' Brent Burns is on the full 60 with Craig Custins. I, I mentioned that because... Uh, do you remember, maybe you were, I don't think you were there, but uh, I was at an awards in Vegas, and I can't remember whether it was after I started The Athletic or not, but uh, I looked out my window, and there's this giant mobile home plugged in, literally plugged into the big sign outside the the um, the win. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's, this is not a trailer park. Who gets to plug in to the big sign outside uh, the uh, the Wynn Hotel, the Vegas Resort in Las Vegas. And, of course, it was Brent Burns. He plucked his giant RV in there. And I, I mentioned this because at that point, Craig and his family were in the... They were going to get an RV. They were going to do this family... I think of uh, I think of those bad comedy movies where families get in their RV and drive around the country and it's like European vacation or whatever it was. But Craig, that was Craig. And he went to Brent's trail the rv to get advice on rv life and so 
I'm hoping that there, the, the there, two there's of them only will talk one Brent Burns. Full sixty. There's only one Brent Burns. Yeah. Before we go, I remember when I uh, I did a, a sit down interview with him for ESPN.com back in the day when the Sharks were in Toronto. And normally, when I would meet a player, you know, I meet a player that's come into town. You know, I'll meet him in a hotel lobby, or I'll you know I'll fix you know sort of figure something out through the PR staff. Not with Brent. Brent says, hey, come up to my room. And he gives me the room number. So I go up to his room. The door's wide open. And he's he's sitting there uh, with with a machine. Uh, I, I was a bit terrified when I walked in, but it's a machine. He's got all these things wrapped around his legs that helps with the blood circulation. I think. I may have completely right. misdiagnosed that. But And so he goes, all right, shoot. And we have this great interview and great conversation. But, but I was just thinking how many... How many players would be comfortable, you know, doing the interview in this setup? So only one Brent Burns, that's for sure. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Also, you should know that we've introduced a comment section. I'm not sure that's a good thing for us. But anyway, for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. So make sure you say hello. Let us know how we're doing. I I didn't know where to find that. Um, I I, I looked for that last week and I couldn't find it. I looked for that too. Okay. but, but I saw and uh, I've seen some nice comments though on Twitter after I think we, it's been listen I, I you know listen tough it's man this it's a new world and I, I say this every week I really I just love I love doing these because it's a real nice way to you know just have a good dialogue talk hockey we've had some great guests and it's been fun but uh, don't forget to rate and subscribe two man advantage on Apple and if you click on the show's URL theathletic.com slash advantage. you'll get 40% off your subscription and buddy I don't even know what's going to happen next week but I know it's going to be fun and uh, I look forward to the next time we reconvene good job by you right on right on